Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. Happy Halloween. Yeah. Love it. Love the turtleneck. I do love it. Like, it's a good look on you and Hannah. You guys look out. I told you before, I actually like turtlenecks. Like, yeah, I think they I, look good. Yeah, like, yeah, you gotta like have a certain swag to rock them, but once you pull them off, like, you put them with the right jacket, yeah. like, you got on, then yeah, it's yeah. good. This one I tried to make it a little funnier, but like, generally speaking, <laughs> dude, I'm with you on right. a turtleneck being okay. All right. Good, good. We can put that to bed. Now I just feel like the jerk who didn't come in a costume. So I'm <laughs> no. like, I'm the, cause I'm usually the one that but goes it's all it's in. It's on purpose, bro. It's on yeah. purpose. <laughs> all right. You gotta be alright with this. Yeah, you guys kept me out, kept me out of the loop, but I love it. Uh, NFL trade deadline yesterday, yep. uh, four o'clock, it ended. It was a lot of rumors, people saying, oh, here we go. It's going to be a big, you know, it's going to be a big year. And it was, but earlier in the day, like 10 a.m., I'm like, man, is anything going to happen? Is anybody move? And sure enough, like we've seen a trend that's been developing recently in the NFL, you've seen more and more teams get aggressive at the trade deadline. And I love it because I think more teams do need to be more open to Giving up draft picks, like sometimes the NFL, they they look at their draft picks and they're so, like, like protective, and I can't give up this. Like it's a rounder. it's a definite. Yes, and like they're, and they're anything but. Right. They're more so indefinite and more questionable about whether you're going to get a hit. So what do you what do you attribute that to? Because a draft pick is nothing but a swing. I mean, oh, you're totally. About, right. So like, what do you attribute them being more loose? I think they've actually learned from watching other leagues, yeah. and looking around and saying, all right, maybe we need to rethink what we're doing here. And be more aggressive. And I think the parity, we've talked a lot about this on the show, the parity across the NFL, there's a few teams at the top, and then there's a bunch of teams that are like battling for position to see if they can get in the playoffs. And that's what you saw teams that are on the cusp of becoming, you know, this, this potentially playoff team. You saw them making moves. Yeah. You saw a team like the Rams who's thinking, hey, we're making a Super Bowl run. They make a move. So I think that's exactly what you're seeing. And I love it. The, t- the fact that you're seeing a younger, Smarter mindset during the trade deadline. Yeah, I played seven years, never saw one guy traded off my team. That's crazy, and never traded for anybody to our team. Like teams were just, nah, you know, we're 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 good. Baseball and basketball have been good about Mm -hmm. maximizing your window of opportunity and using using a trade, and even if it means you have to give up the pick to maximize. Now they've been good about doing that, and I think you're right. Like the NFL's kind of been stuck in like mm, I can't give that pick up. But if your window's Old now, mentality. what's the first round pick going to do? What's right. the second round pick going to do for you? Your window's now. Like, but the flip side of that is NFL guys can come in like first rounder sometimes come in. You can plug them in. There there are eleven guys out there. You can plug them in and they can have a huge impact. You don't necessarily see that on championship teams in in the NBA all the time. So let's look at one of the first deals that had a big impact, and that was Demarius Thomas goes from the Broncos to the Texans. The Broncos get a fourth rounder, and the teams will swap their seventh round picks. Demarius Thomas, 30 years old. He's been a little bit on the decline Some of production. A little bit of yeah. dropsies over his career. Maybe I, A lot of them, I've always watched him in, I've, you know, on the bigger stage, Monday Night Football, Sunday Night Football, and it's been cold out. Yeah. I wonder if that has an impact. Like Denver is a colder spot to play, and I've noticed that in several games when he's had a case of the drops. Yeah. But clearly, this is about the Texans saying, we won five games in a row. Or, we got Deshaun Watson, who is back to his form that he showed last year as a rookie. Yep, you lose and Will Fuller. That was the big thing to me is when you when they lost Will Fuller, like, oh, man, they are in the market for a receiver if they want to take some of the pressure off DeAndre Hopkins. Not not pressure off, but they now teams will have to respect the other side. Because yeah. They could roll over safeties over the top. They could double DeAndre Hopkins. Now with Demarius Thomas on the other side of the field, they can't do that because he's a good enough receiver to – you know, to, to, to potentially, you know, 
take some of the load off. Yeah, gotta, make some you, big plays on the other side of him. Keep people honest. Absolutely. So I, I actually love this move for the Texans. The thing that is very unique about it, and I'm curious to know this from your perspective, they're playing this week. Right. Which is like really a weird dynamic because I guarantee you the Texans – We'll bring in Demarius Thomas, and they'll get him up to speed on their offensive game plan. Like, hey, we you got to learn the terminology. They'll give him a smaller percentage of the playbook, and it'll simplify right. it for him so that he knows what to do. If he doesn't know what to do, he can ask Deshaun Watson in the huddle, hey, where do I line up? What's my route? And you go. But I'm very curious as far as the Houston defensive coordinators if, and, and play callers. Like, do they call in Demarius? I'm sure they will. Hey, what are your guys? What's your guys' code word for you know when you're going to check? You're going to audible at the line of scrimmage. What are some of your signals that you use when you check off? And like, can you notice anything? And and he'll give them to him. So, dude, when, when I got, that's why I want to know. Like in the NBA, is it the same way? Yeah, when I got traded from Phoenix, the first time I got traded from Phoenix to Charlotte, Larry Brown and the staff they didn't you know they didn't come over to me and say hey give us the keys to the kingdom when we were playing the Suns right? But you know they they. They made it clear that if I knew anything, it was free for me to offer it up, right? Like they were going to take the info if I wanted to give it up, right? So they kind of left it up to me whether or not I wanted to do it. And yes, I wanted to do it. Like I gave them every like yeah. verbiage that we use, every option. Like I walked, I helped walk our team. Like basically those shoot arounds were, were me putting people through the shoot arounds, you know? And so right. look, that's the, when you trade a guy and essentially you're telling him you don't want him, like when I play your team again, yes, I want to give the team that I'm on now the most competitive advantage that I, that I can. And that's part of it. See, in the NBA with 82 games with, you know, the play, and I'm, I'm assuming this, you tell me if I'm wrong, but like the plays that matter in a game, I don't think there's that much of a competitive edge if you do give him some terminology. Um, to, Am I right? No, well, because the game is so free flowing and right. they're not scripted every play. Right. Like you can't account for just, you know, fast break, you know, just, uh, I don't know, spontaneity. Right. You know, there's not that much of that in the NFL. Most stuff is like, this is what we're doing. Um, but it could still help. Like, you know, when, when I know, you know, what Steve Nash's tendency is coming off pick and roll or, you know, if, if, um, you know, right. if Amari, if Amari does this, you know, look out for that. Like th- those give you an advantage. Now, whether or not you're put in that situation that it actually is fruitful for you or not is a different story, but th- it could be an advantage for sure. Yeah, I think it'll be a huge advantage if Demarius Thomas can, f- and I think cause obviously the Broncos are going to change some of their terminology so that they don't give it away. But I would say even more importantly, Demarius Thomas needs to pay attention during the game. So if he can recognize the new audible yep. and say, all right, that's their check. When we bring a blitz, that could be a huge difference in the NFL when there's only 16 games. And if you watch NFL games, a lot of times it comes down to two or three big plays that make the difference. And if Tamarius Thomas can tip them off. So where they get an interception or if they, you know, call the blitz at the right time, they're able to get a fumble. That to me is where it could be a, uh, could play a huge part. So that's just an interesting dynamic of kind of the inside, you know, the chess match that'll be going on in that game. What, what was your, what was your attitude? Like I'm always curious about quarterbacks when they get that new receiver. Like are you trying to force him the ball. Like you know what I mean? Cause point guards sometimes when you get that new guy, you want to give him the ball. Right. You, Cause you, you want him to know, Hey, listen, we're happy to have you here. Like we want you to be a big part of this. So you'd even err on the side of like, yeah. Overfeeding him, if you right. would, you know, like what was your approach? But I think, with that? see, another, I mean, it's a difference because you have that luxury in an 82 game schedule. Yeah, that's true. You can do it early on. And this one, I do think they'll have, it's going to be hard. I think, I don't think people realize how big an NFL playbook is and right. how much mentally there is to absorb. And for Demarius Thomas in a short week, I, I, they probably give him a, a package of probably 15 to 20 plays. Okay. And they say, you have these down cold. Now in a game, they might have 50 plays available. Right. So, They'll have plays specifically designed for him to get him open. And then in those plays, they'll probably have DeAndre Hopkins with a pretty important role in that one too, so that they'll kind of get a feel. How are they going to play these two receivers? But I think it, it'll, 
it'll be a, a smaller game plan. But I think Deshaun Watt, they'll want to get him involved. Right. Like, obviously. And I think they'll give him some opportunities maybe to call some big play, take some shot plays down the field for a bigger receiver like him, especially in the red zone. I think that's where you could see him having a big impact because right. that's where that package will get, um, you know, even more specific for him. Uh, Eagles and Redskins also make some pretty good moves there. The Philadelphia Eagles added Golden Tate for a third round pick. Yep. Uh, it's clearly a one-year rental with his contract up at the end of the year. This is specifically a move, I think, because they've lost, uh, lost Mike Wallace earlier in the season. Alshon Jeffrey had an injury issue early in the season. But again, another team in a division. And let's, let's talk about these two together because the Redskins also added HaHa Clinton Dix uh, to their secondary uh, for a fourth-round pick. The NFC East is as wide open, you could say bad, but it's as wide open as any division out there. And these are the two teams that most people would say have the best chance to win it. So they're going to make some moves to try to improve their rosters. And I love it for both of them. Yeah, I think they're good moves for both, right? When you lost, uh, you know, you got Alshon Jeffries and you pick up Golden Tate as a number two. I would have liked to see Washington, you know, they're, they've got an, a banged up receiving core. Yeah. They hang their head on defense though, right? Like they're, they're not asking Alex Smith to do a whole lot. They're living on the running game. Um, uh, DJ Swearinger's already a really, really good safety. Now you add HaHa Clinton Dix. You got two of the better safeties in the league this year. Um, so I'm okay with that because you're countering what other people are doing because we didn't even talk about, like Dallas went out, you know, adding Amari Cooper and they're not at the top of the list in, in the division, but they're, they still probably feel like there's a puncher's chance. Um, so you just countered. And so for both teams, for everybody in that division, probably except the, the Giants, uh, I thought everybody d- did well for themselves around yeah. the trade deadline. They made the necessary moves to put themselves in position. The Giants clearly have made it known that they are not in the mix this year. They're trying to unload. They're sellers at this time. Right. Uh, by moving on Snacks Harrison, you know, moving Eli Apple. They're, they've made it known, hey, we're not, we're not here to make any moves to get better. We're looking right. to, for the future, uh, to go that way. Alright, so it should be the NFC East. I think, I think the Eagles, I trust the Eagles more because of the success they had last year. Carson Wentz is playing at a high level. I wish they probably would have addressed their offensive line. But you got to look at the market that's out there. And the Redskins, I, I'm with you. I look at them. Adrian Peterson has been good. This resurgence at his age is yeah. like, wow, that's pretty impressive. But I don't know if I trust them over the long haul of the season as I do the Eagles. The older you get, the harder it is to stay healthy for that for that length. And he's he's getting the lion's share of the carries. It's not like I mean, he's getting a lot of carries at that age, um, which is cool. But and then look in the NFL now, it's kind of like the NBA. You can have a great defense. But you got to be able to score the ball. Like in a one-game scenario, you, you, people are putting up points. Yep. And that worries me about Washington just a little bit. All right, let's look at the college football rankings because those came out last night. Uh, it was the first one where actually the committee yeah. releases there, so they start to get more official, even though it's kind of a really dumb concept when you think about it. Like we get all fired up about this. It has zero impact on who's going to play in the playoff. It's bait. It's basically built for conversation for shows like ours mm-hmm. when you come in here and argue about it because I do – I look at the list. Alabama, no issue there whatsoever. Clemson, no issue whatsoever. The three spot with LSU, I do have an issue with this one because I think this is where college football gets too cute. And right. you put too much value on who do we think is the better team. And let's break down resumes and game control and all these uh, analytics that don't matter. Notre Dame's eight. No, they should be ahead of LSU. Exactly. That's Easy. It. Thank you. Yes. It's like, why do we try to look at this? And it's not like UCF. Like UCF plays a different schedule. Right. It's a different conference. It's not a power five. So I would not put them in that conversation. But when you look at Notre Dame and the teams they've beaten, including one of the most impressive wins on the season over Notre Dame in that week one, it's not like they're playing in a conference that, you know, they're independent, but they're still, their schedule is good. Yeah. They've had really good wins and LSU, who, yes, they had a good win against Georgia, but the win against Miami, I'm sorry for the pains, it's not looking as impressive now. Uh, the win against Auburn does not look as impressive now. 
But you know what is that what should matter is the fact that they lost to Florida. And I don't even know, like, we don't know how good Florida is yet. It's like one of those, this is what bothers me about the favoritism or the different treatment that the SEC gets. Uh-oh. It does, because when you look at that Florida game, they're like, oh, Florida's really good. They were a top 10 team and all this when, um, you know, when they play, when they beat them. And it's like, well, they're, we don't know that yet. And the only reason they get these top rankings is because everybody starts in the SEC ranked in the top 25. Which is why we're sitting here, and in this college football playoff week one poll, the SEC has the number one team. They have the highest ranked one loss team. Yep. They have the highest ranked two loss team, and they have the highest ranked three loss team. Like, do you sense a trend? And I get the pushback from SEC fans saying, well, that's because we're the best conference. No, it's because you guys get the advantage of the way you're perceived by the voters, and it's an unfair advantage because they never get dinged as much for a loss, and they get way more credit for a win because it's always over a top 25 opponent. It's just, it drives me nuts the way we look at it. Yeah, you're kind of stuck in like what came, like, what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Like, <laughs> you, you know, right? Because you're saying they get all this credit, so their teams are top 25s. Um, but that is going to help you in your strength of schedule and your quality wins because you're playing in a conference that's deemed tougher than everybody. Like, I can't really argue with it because the same argument we use for UCF, right? Playing in the American is that mm-hmm. like, yeah, at the body of work in terms of wins versus losses speaks for itself, but you're not playing heavyweights night in and night out. And the SEC, whether you think these teams are like top 25 teams or not, they are heavyweights. Like, right. You know, Florida's a heavyweight. It may, may not be cream of the crop, like top 10 playing but for a national that's championship. That's the difference but. where I look at the Big Ten, and I still think Michigan State a heavyweight, even though yeah. they're not as good as they usually are. And no, it's but like that's a, true. It's a funny game. Like, Notre Dame is playing Northwestern. Northwestern, I think, is a heavyweight, nope. but they don't get treated no. like that. They are. They're good. They beat Wisconsin. They beat yeah. Purdue. Like, they're good. But not a heavyweight. Like, you're talking about but traditional But Florida's not heavy. very – like, they're not a real heavyweight this season. Like, they're okay. Their defense is good, but they still have the same issues. Florida, Northwestern. You're, you're taking Northwestern? Uh, I think Florida would be probably a touchdown favorite. Yeah, heavy. But I, but I, like, I don't think there's so, I, I think the SEC is the best conference in football this year. I think right. you have to look at it each season. I think they've, they've, they've got the depth. They have the Alabama at the top. I think they're the best in the, I think they're the best in the country. I just don't feel like it's so much better. I got you. The Big 10 or the ACC or the Big 12 or the Pac-12 is kind of a distant fifth. But I don't feel like they're so much better where they deserve this free pass if you lose or they don't get as much you know they get all this love if they get a win against one of their opponents i did like one of the terms that i've noticed people start using and hopefully it's coming from the committee themselves is it's no longer wins over top 25 teams we're using wins over teams above 500 because i think that's a better judge of who you've played right the strength of your schedule for sure um i like that it's what happens this is specific to lsu and the sec yeah when lsu loses to alabama like what what happens to them then they'll they won't drop as far as anybody else would that plays alabama because but where 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 would you imagine they wind up provided everyone else probably drop they win they'll probably drop to eight or nine like they'll still be ahead of a bunch of one loss teams and some of it depends on how they look. Yeah. Like if they play them to a field goal, they might drop them two spots. Right. They really might. Like they might not. They'll say, Hey, that was really good. Um, and the thing is, if, if, Bam, if LSU beats Alabama, I think Bama might stay in the top four. Like because right. they'll say, Oh, they played on the road at night and they lost to a number three team. They might keep Bama up there, which again, it's one of those situations where you're like, a loss has to be 
punitive to everybody, not just the teams outside of the SEC. So I thought about the UCF situation, and and it still bothers me that you could have them out there playing and never really have a chance to get in there, right? Yeah, but that's what drives me nuts for them. What is UCF supposed to do, though? Because like I played at I played at small schools. I yeah. played at Boston University. I played at FIU. We wanted to play Miami bad because there were a bunch of us at FIU that wanted to go to Miami, and we felt like we were better than the Miami kids. Yeah. They won't play you. There's, right. It's a no win. Like Leonard Hamilton told Shaky Rodriguez, like with no, no, we're not going to play you. And he, I think he even said, like it's a no win for us. So, like, what then is a team supposed to do to get their strength of schedule up when you have? It makes no sense for these teams to play a UCF. Have UCF come into the right. field and beat them? If they it's, beat you, it, you know, the Power Five teams are dodging them like like it's the plague. Like right. they don't want any part of UCF. So how do no. they? How do they? It's tricky because they only usually can schedule two Power Five teams. And the last two years, and it's kind of crazy the way weather has impacted UCF's resumes. Last year they had a game canceled against Georgia Tech, which would have been an opportunity to have a win against a Power 5 team, and they probably would have. This year they had a game against North Carolina early in the year. It was canceled because of a hurricane. Would have been another game they could have had against an ACC team that they probably would have won, and it hurts their overall resume. That's why I think there's such a flaw in the system. They won't, because nobody's gonna schedule them. You know, right. and, and no. it's just, it's a fact that they won't get that opportunity. Last one I just want to, before we put a bow on this, is Washington State, I think, is a good football team. I think it's the Pac-12's last hope, uh, for the playoff. They came in there, pretty surprising to me, is that they came in at number eight, which I think is great. I think it's a good spot for them. I think it's deserved. Yeah. I don't think they have a chance in the end, though, because of their non-conference schedule. But I do think this committee has given them Hope and maybe a slim chance they could still squeeze in there. And I think they've got actually a pretty good defense, uh, for them, which is something that you don't usually see out of Washington State. So. Washington State. My buddy Carlos yeah. Daniel went to Washington State. They were like, they well, didn't they, know they had a football team. I know. And, and yet they've had some pretty good quarterbacks come yeah. out there. They've had runs where they've had, you know, some pretty impressive. Good for players. them. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. Good for, you're like, straight up. Cool, cool, good yeah, for them. Yeah. I cannot get my stupid IFB this morning. Have you noticed that this morning? Like I cannot get it. Cause you don't have your turtleneck on, bro. Yeah. Exactly. That must be it. All right. We got to get to the top 10 teams in the NFL and we'll, uh, we'll hit on your bottom five. Okay. Bottoms coming up next. One thing I'm a little bit bummed. I never got to take part in championship parade. I thought Actually, you were going to say a duck boat ride. No, I would, I, oh. I've never done that either. <laughs> uh, have you ever done the double decker thing in New York City or? No. no, I haven't either. I've never really gone full tourist mode in yeah. any one of those cities. Kind of like to do my own thing. Yes. Uh, did have a championship parade in Tallahassee though. Okay. Which was pretty cool. Like if we had the, we had the parade, like the cars going through. Yeah. That's fun. big time. That's like yeah. probably closer to a championship, a real championship parade. I had one in Yakima, Washington. <laughs> oh, you did? Yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. Time out. Hold the it phone. wasn't really a parade. No, no, we won a championship. So what'd you do? Yeah, we just kind of hung out and like. Was there a parade? Did they bar. have like a celebration? Yeah, it was like the walk from the cars to the bar and everybody <laughs> was, was in the bar. Yeah, it was a parade. What was to get into the time. bar? I love that. Did you get rings? We got rings, yeah. Nice. I, don't know where, I don't know where mine is. Oh, I do. No, I have it. I just right. don't know exactly. Kind of looked away. You don't Correct. wear it very frequently. Yeah, I'm not, it's not <laughs> popping that out every morning. All right. Good to know. All right. Some teams that will be in the hunt for parades in the NFL. Let's look at our top 10. Yep. My top 10 teams from the NFL. Not a huge change for me at the top of the list. Rams, Patriots, Chiefs, Saints all win. So no, uh, no move at the top four. The Chargers are a team I think everybody's sleeping on. The Panthers... Loving what Cam's, uh, Cam Newton is doing with that offense and Norv Turner as the offensive coordinator. 
The Vikings with the worst record in the top ten. Again, they you keep just, having good losses. Like we, I feel like we're talking about college football. You can't help yourself. I, I you can't. just cannot help yourself. Because they're there. They're so close. Okay. My man Kirk Cousins still can't get that uh, monkey off his back when you talk about him not being able to win the big game. Redskins, a big jump. Steelers uh, in the mix, too. And the Bengals, a lot of teams from the AFC North are uh, making appearances, too. But I think what was really interesting, if the Rams – the Rams are my number one team, and yeah. I think they might have just even separated a little bit more. Because I've always the liked bad. them better than the Chiefs because they're better on the defense side of the ball. Sure. Like The Chiefs are still have issues on the defense side of the ball. And I know Patrick Mahomes is awesome, and it's great to see these fireworks that he's putting up. But at some point, weather gets turned sour in Kansas City or if they have to travel. And I don't know if I trust their defense to get off the field. The Rams, meanwhile, go out and get a former – Number three overall pick in Dante Fowler from the Jaguars. Adam to an already pretty filthy front. And I think this team all of a sudden just became the odds on favorite for the Super Bowl. Yeah. Do you, do you imagine, um, that he's going to be way more productive than he's been in, in? Yes. I absolutely do. Because, yes. Because, you know why? Because now he's going to get better matchups. Right. And because there's so much, so much firepower on, you know, on the Rams roster, you can't account for everybody. So I was just looking this up. Yeah, so Rams are the favorite from Vegas. Five to two odds to win the Super Bowl. And I don't know if he's changed with this move. Probably not. It's not like it's a big, you know, uh mover. But I do think it makes them that much better. Patriots still the second favorite at five to one odds. Chiefs at six to one. And the Saints at 13 to two. So they're not much different than my uh, top top four either. Look, anytime you're you're already riding high and you can get a number three overall pick with an upside, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm taking a swing at that for what they gave up for. That's just me personally because we're talking about windows of opportunity and you're trying to just seal the deal on that defense being absolutely nasty. I look, Kansas City. I'm with you, but I do think that Patrick Mahomes. Like, I know their defense isn't up to snuff with and doesn't like stack up against the Rams, but I think that the offense. Um, that Andy Reid runs and Patrick Mahomes' ability, like both in and out of the pocket, I think they make up for some of that defensive. Like I think if they got in a shootout, you know, with the Rams, that they'd be right there. I don't think it'd be a runaway. I think that his he's the type of talent. At, at the end of the day, he'll be one of the types of talents that can overcome having shoddy defenses, a la um, Aaron Rodgers and and some of those other guys. At the end of the day, maybe right. uh, he just can make those kind of plays. He's he's. Sample size is big enough now. I mean, he's got a little magic in him, you know? Here's where I worry about him. Can they get off the field uh, on defense? Right. Because I think what Ram- the Rams could do is play keep away. Because yeah. they could go toe-to-toe in a shootout if they wanted to throw it around. But they got Todd Gurley, who's up True. for the MVP. And the, chi- uh, the Chiefs right now are 31st in the NFL in total defense. And they're twenty seventh. That's not very good. Rush defense. Not, not very good. good. So, not like, very- they – and you can – like, they just need to bump it up where they're, like, in the – 20s. Like yeah, but up to like 20, 20th in the NFL. They've got to get better on the defensive side of the ball or they will get exposed, especially if the weather turns bad. Like that's the thing. And I keep forgetting about it. I'm like, mm-hmm. they'll be fine, but it gets nasty in Kansas City. And if they have to travel to New England for a potential AFC yeah. championship matchup, that could become a very real issue for them. For sure. Yeah. I don't listen. I mean, this has been fun in games for a while now, but yeah. if the Vikings show up, if they lose this week and they're in your top ten next week, there's going right. to are going to have a real beat. All right, well that's cool. We'll have to fight over that one. Right. I, don't, I think I would have to knock them out of there, uh, out of that one too, if they lose uh, next week. Who do they play next week? I don't know. They have the Lions at home. You are right. If yeah. they lose that game, dude, I will come on here and I'll say Kirk Cousins is overrated, and I'll say they made a bust. It, it was a bad deal. Eighty-four million. We, we argued this. They will not Monday. lose that game, guaranteed. 
dead pipe. You don't give right any there. validity to the argument that Kirk Cousins might be like one of those guys that that plays from like I don't know the ten to the ten. Like, no, you know what I mean, like no. he, he's a closer for you. Like no. you, 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 you affirm. Don't get over it. I'm a firm believer. Okay, in Kirk Cousins. All right. All right. I, I hope he does, it. but I mean, like. Yep. I don't know. He'll be fine. You gotta win the big one sometimes. Uh, the Chargers, Debo wanted me to hit on them being overrated possibly. What? And Coca, they are not overrated. Trending. They bro. are flying under the radar is yeah. what they're doing. And I, th- I think this team is only going to get better on the defensive side of the ball when they get Joey Bosa back mm-hmm. healthy where he's actually able to implement Melvin Gordon, a bunch of studs on the defensive side of the ball. And you have a Hall of Fame quarterback in Phillip Rivers who is kind of, I don't know if he was, so I feel like he's kind of like Kirk Cousins. Like he's a guy that has always been consistently top, like but, people but like, better, what? but better, but, but slightly better. <laughs> but throughout his career, he's always put up big numbers and yeah. hasn't been able to get his team deep in the playoffs. And I think this could be a year where they're sitting there, nobody's talking about it. it's all Patriots and Chiefs. And I guarantee you, in a playoff scenario, nobody wants to play this team, nobody. And I think they could be a team that shocks a lot of people in the postseason. Yeah, under as the, long as they continue the success. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about it. They just felt like. You look around and you feel like, you know, your eyeball says that team, man, that team could do something, right? And, yep. and then they started putting it together. And yeah, that would be one of those teams. You have them in every sport where you're, everybody's looking at them like, don't draw them in the first round. You start seeing people like jockey for position so they don't got to play them if they're the one seed. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. That's one of those teams. Nobody's going to want to play that team. So well, look at their schedule is a little bit lighter, the teams they've been through. And then all of a sudden it's going to get real for them. They go two back-to-back weeks uh, at Seattle, at the Raiders. Then they have a home game versus Broncos, Cardinals. It doesn't get that much tougher, actually. No, bro. Then they have to go on the road to the Steelers, Bengals, at the Chiefs, at Broncos, and the Ravens mixed in there, too. I think their schedule's legit. Coke is in there saying, oh, look at their schedule. They're a good football team, and I think they're going to surprise a lot of people. I'm sticking to it. Uh, let's look at your bell bottoms. Okay. Favorite time of the week. I mean, it just doesn't change. <laughs> all right. It's always the same. We <laughs> can, can stop the segment now. Why you got to put the Browns on there, though? But the Browns are dysfunction, like, yeah. personified with, with the way they handled their situation, not firing one coach, but firing two coaches. Um, I, I just, think that could, I think that actually could help the Browns. I think that was a toxic situation. I think you remove that. What? It's like removing a, a tumor. Like you're getting it out of the way. Now I think they'll be freed up. I don't think you'll have coaches bickering over the play calls. I th- it I wouldn't be, be so, better. It wouldn't be so bad for me if you hadn't created the situation yourself, not more than like a few months ago. Like I, you know, I understand if it's toxic, you have to get rid of it, but you did it. Right. Like you, you knew that, that guy was Owen what as a head coach? Right. One thirty one. Prior to the like, yeah, prior how do you keep your job? Number right. one, right? And you know Todd Todd Haley's track record speaks for itself, man. Yes. Like he's he has issues, their personality issues at times. Like you brought him into that situation, you had. There's no foresight on your part. So now you got to go back and clean it up. I don't give you credit for it. You just cleaned up the mistake that you made in the first place. So it could make it better, but still, they're just, yeah, yeah, young quarterback. And here's my problem with it. I said before, you want to, you want to provide stability for any athlete as much as you can. Yep. If you want them to succeed, especially young quarterbacks, right? Because the pressure of young quarterback, it's the most pressure packed like situation probably, you know, in team sports. Like when you start him, you're rolling him out there, but point guards, you know, they get off the ball and, and, and do what they do and, and you can groom them. Um, pitchers, you know, you put them in the rotation somewhere down the line. It's not on them every time they're out there. That quarterback position, man, it's a big thing. And so when you're rolling through, you know, different voices and different sets of commands and different philosophies that early in a young guy's career, like it could be detrimental. And I worry about that with him. You know, the thing that's crazy in all this is that Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson both, they'll both have jobs pretty soon, but Todd Haley, 
has basically like proven himself to kind of be a jerk. Yeah. Like, and if you watched Hard Knocks, you could see some of that sure. personality just rubs you. It's kind of abrasive. It's a weird. He'll have another job. Yeah. Like it's kind of crazy how the NFL works. Just to read. NBA is just like that too. Yeah, like, I hate that about it. Like I don't want to ever say it's somebody that doesn't deserve a job, sure. but if it proves out over time that you're not a very good coach, like. Shouldn't that be the end of it? Right. right. <laughs> like, no, he, everybody he, realize that? And yet he'll have somebody who he gave a job to when he was a head coach, and they'll say, "Up, oh, come on, work with me. Uh, All right, we got to talk some NBA. We got our guy, Reed Forgrave. Did you know he ticked off LeBron the other night? What? Yeah, I got to ask him about it. About All right, coming up next and Off the Bench. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench. Let's do a little NBA talk with our guy, Reed Forgrave. He's awesome, does a fantastic job, CBS Sports NBA writer. You Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Reed Forgrave. What's up, my man? So I teased the LeBron interaction that you had with him a couple nights ago because you gave him one of those questions, which I thought was a really good question, and you asked him about being patient, how long till his patience would run out, and then you kind of got a look and you got a little bit of a terse reply. What was that interaction like with the King? Yes, yeah, so... so- I asked him, he, he's been speaking about patience since day one, and it makes sense. This is the first time LeBron has been the oldest player on his roster. He knew from the moment he signed up with his team that it was going to take time to get chemistry and to teach these young guys things. So, yeah, I asked him, when is that patience going to run out? And I think the kicker was, so what do you look like? <laughs> what do you look like, LeBron, when you lose your patience? And i got to be honest, he sounded like a dad <laughs> when he answered this. He's like, you don't want to be around me when I lose my patience. And uh, I made the mistake of uh, you know maybe laughing a little bit right after he said that. And then he stared stared right through me, and he's like, I'm serious. And I, of course, you know, <clears throat> gulped and said, you know, sorry, King. Let's move on. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, I think, a telling answer. Like, first of all, he was being honest, uh, which I think can be refreshing in those locker room scenarios when you, you normally get things that are just – you know, just blasé, just cliche. Uh, he's frustrated, and he should be frustrated. But he also, I, I think we would have been more surprised, or we should have been more surprised, if this team was sitting at 5-2 and two right now compared to 2-5, and five, because it always was going to take time. Uh, but he was also, I do think, sending a bit of a message. He's like, hey, guys, uh, LeBron's like a presidential candidate. Every little tweak of his words is sending a message to those under him and those above him, if we want to say that Luke Walton is actually above him in the pecking order. And I think he's sending a message saying, hey, these mistakes that we're making, and he he, kept, he was saying, you know, when you make the same mistakes over and over again and expect yourself to improve, that's the definition of insanity. These mistakes that we're making can't go on. So I do think he's sending a bit of a fatherly message to his young team. What are the mistakes that he's making, Reed? Like, I mean, what are the mistakes that that team is making? I, I, I've watched them play a little bit. I mean, I think offensively, if, if, if this was going to be the version of themselves through like six games, people would say it's been pretty good. Like people are, you know, they've yeah. been efficient offensively. Defensively, there's some work to do. They, they get out rebounded from here, here and there, but it doesn't seem like a tragic, um, lack of rebounding out there. So what, like, what are the mistakes? What are these things that he's, that he's trying to get out to his teammates? You're right. Efficient offensively, fun offensively, really fast, a little bit sloppy at times, especially in the first half of that Timberwolves game. They were kind of all over the place. It's really all about defense. Uh, Luke Walton was talking about this after the game, and he was like, look, we we have a game plan going in, and we didn't follow the game plan. The game plan was to keep them off the offensive glass, talking about the Timberwolves. And to not foul them. And they fouled them twice as much as the Timberwolves fouled them. The Timberwolves shot, I think, like 30 foul shots in that game. 
and uh, they got killed on the offensive glass. Uh, Luke Walton was also talking about just messed up defensive schemes that were saying, hey, we're supposed to go under on the screen here, and we don't. We're supposed to go over the screen here, and we don't. The bench is yelling at players saying, yo, yo, do this, and, and they don't do it. So I think that is, I mean, and honestly, Roger, like, isn't that what I just described exactly what you would expect from a team where the core, the non-LeBron core, is all age 21, 22, 23? Like, that's the lack of attention to detail is kind of what you would expect from this team six, seven games into the year. Yeah, no, totally. I think, you know, when you're dealing with younger players, they're they're going to forget assignments and do stuff like that. My, my question about the rebounding, though, and who on that team is supposed to rebound other than JaVale McGee? Yeah, no, I mean, that's the question, right? I guess Alonzo Ball is good. They, they have good guards who can rebound. They just don't have any bigs who can yeah. rebound, and it can't be all on LeBron's shoulders. It, look, there are a few, I think, fatal flaws that will keep this from being an elite LeBron team. You know, one is shooting, obviously. Two is the youth and, and all the defense that comes into that. But three is they want to have forces down low. Like, JaVale's a nice player in limited minutes, but, like, he's not going to be bullying people under the glass. Uh, Kyle Kuzma, I, I think, is a hell of a young player. Uh, but, again, like, I'm not sure if he's the guy that you want to really control the glass. So, Really, the best rebounder is LeBron, and the dude's 33. You can't have him banging down low and then expect him to do everything else for this team. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. If LeBron does lose his patience, how does it impact Luke Walton? I mean, we did uh, an NBA segment the other day. We were talking about coaches, the favorites to get fired. Luke Walton was in was was the top favorite. Ty Lue was second. Both Raj and I were like, "There's no way they don't have, you know. There's no way they're going to fire." He gets fired. Scott Brooks was also on the list, and it's getting pretty yeah. bad. They're sitting now at one in six. How bad is it getting for these Wizards? About as bad as you can get. Like, it's not just the fact that they've been terrible and, frankly, looked, you know, certain players pretty lazy at times. It's the fact that they are, you know, we're seven games into the season, and these dudes are already going at each other. We already got, you know, I live in Minneapolis, so it's not the best soap opera in the NBA. Jimmy Butler will always trump that until he gets traded. But this is the second best soap opera in the NBA. It just seems like these guys don't like each other and it's kind of always been this way with the Wizards it's always been this dysfunctional locker room then you add Dwight Howard to the mix you add Austin Rivers to the mix for better or for worse and it, it just seems like it has somehow gotten worse so yeah I honestly I don't think Luke Walton has to worry right now I think Jeannie Buss is on his side and I think that team is going to get better I think Scotty Brooks should absolutely be worried because you do feel like Whatever window this team has had over the past several years, I mean, they made the conference semifinals a few years ago. Whatever window this team has had is, I don't want to say it's closed, but it's maybe, there's like maybe a little bit of draft that's coming in through that window, but you can barely feel it. Yeah, that's, that's crazy because you already have a situation with John Wall, um, and Bradley Beal. There was already concerns that they didn't necessarily love each other. Kelly Oubre can be, you know, an enigma at times, but if you add like Dwight Howard, and Austin Rivers, who who both are are kind of guys that people you know have had issues with in locker rooms. I don't know from like a from a manage, management perspective how you thought that was going to solve problems uh, emotionally in your locker room. But I want to go I want to go over to the to the Raptors and Kawhi because I was one of the people that thought it might take a little bit of time for that chemistry to develop there in Toronto. And I want to know like where does the credit like is this a Nick Nurse thing? Is this just you know how good Kawhi is? I also give a little bit of credit or a lot of credit. To that supporting cast that they're in Toronto, like I, I didn't know that they were that good. It seems like it's been a pretty seamless transition. 
They were the best bench in the NBA last year. And look, I do think the fact that they traded away Jakob Pertl is something that is going to affect them long term. But they look awesome. And, you know, this is what happens when you add a guy. They didn't know if Kawhi was going to be MVP level Kawhi. 2016-17 Kawhi, the guy who I'd say most pundits, uh, the majority of pundits last year going into the season thought was going to be MVP for the Spurs. Uh, you never know when you come back from this weird injury whether he's going to be 100%. The dude looks 100% and he is just, just fit in absolutely seamlessly. The Raptors have moved even further away from mid-range shots. Uh, and, and I do think, we talk about that bench and it is an awesome bench. Fred Van Vliet has been one of my favorite players since college. He's just, you look at him and you're like, that dude, not a basketball player. And then you see him play and you'd be like, oh, it's not the body, it's the mind that makes him such a good basketball player. That bench is awesome. They're also not as deep as they were last year, which I think can actually be an advantage to this team come playoff time because you don't see teams that are so reliant on the benches to being great in the playoffs. This is a team with an awesome starting five. I think they're going to be right up there with the Jazz and the Celtics for the best defense in the NBA come uh, come April. Uh, and frankly, you're right, Raja. It hasn't taken a while to gel, which has surprised me. Uh, Nick Nurse looks like an absolute find as a coach. Reed, who's in more trouble, the Thunder or the Rockets? Both off to a little bit of rocky starts. Can I, can I say neither? Can I say I'm not all that worried about either of those teams, which is crazy because it's been a disastrous first two weeks? But look, the Rockets. Let's look at the Rockets. They've had Chris Paul and James Harden in the lineup together for two games this season. Uh, are we going to panic that much when, you know, two of the best, maybe the best backcourt in the NBA that isn't Steph and Clay, uh, hasn't been together? They were awesome last year when those two plus Clint Capella were in the lineup together. Uh, James Ennis has been out for the past four games. They had all sorts of injury troubles. I, they, I do not think, and I never thought they were going to be as good of a team as last year. Uh, losing to Riza and Bahamute, I know those aren't like sexy losses, but I think that really matters to this team, and it's why they've been a big reason why they've been such a disaster on defense this year. And look, they've been a disaster all the way through, but I just don't think it's time to push that panic button. Does anyone actually think the Rockets, assuming health is gets right, are going to lose less than 50 games this year? I'm sorry, are going to win less than 50 games this year. They are, they are probably on pace to lose 50 games right now. I, I don't think so. It, it seems to me to be such an overreaction. And as far as the Thunder, I guess if I had to pick one team between the two that I'm more concerned about, it would be the Thunder. Uh, I worry about Russ's knee. Uh, we know he missed the first few games of this year after that knee surgery. Uh, he's so reliant on athleticism. And then I worry about the impact of Andre Robertson not being on the floor. He doesn't get back until... December at the earliest. Uh, I know it's weird to think of a guy who's a complete uh, non-presence on offense to be so important to a team, but when he's on the floor, that's a near elite defense. So I guess if I had to pick between the two, I'd probably pick the Thunder, uh, just because I have faith that the Rockets, when they're healthy, are going to be not as good as they were last year, but still a top, certainly a top four team in the West. Now it's interesting that today's NBA run and gun score a bunch of points. We're talking about Luke Mbamute, Trevor Ariza, and Andre Roberson, because now there's a premium on, on defensive players. I also think Jeff Bidzilic, uh retiring, you know, he was the kind of the schematic genius behind the Houston defense, means a lot too. Um, thanks for joining us, uh, Reed. Always a pleasure, brother. Um, let's go over to Hannah. Yeah, socially relevant. 
All right, guys, it is Halloween, so of course we have to showcase some other people besides Raja and I who like to <laughs> troll their friends. So one costume I think you'll see on a lot of trick-or-treaters tonight is Aaron Judge. It's an easy one with the pinstripes, the bat, the helmet, the 99. But not only are the kids pulling out the Yankees thread. Yankees threads Aaron Gordon from the Orlando Magic paid tribute to his fellow Aaron on Tuesday by matching Judge's full Yankees uniform. And I have to say, guys, unlike Raja and I dressing up like Danny, the resemblance here is actually pretty close. <laughs> you know what's crazy is that all those kids that are dressing up as Aaron Judge, they can't imitate the 6'8 frame. <laughs> yeah. But Aaron Gordon actually can. Like, he actually kind of looks like him in that getup. Yeah, he's a... Uh, you know, it's, uh, I went to a, um, uh, an event in Orlando uh-huh. for um, you know, Special Olympics. He was at the table with me. Super nice dude, man. I never really got to know him, played against him. Super nice guy, man. I'm cheering for him. Uh, yeah, in 6'8". I wonder if he could hit a baseball. Think he was a two-sport guy? <laughs> I don't know. Most of my, I a lot of basketball, basketball guys aren't two-sport guys, man. It's true. And even it's more weird. so lately now that basketball's yeah. kind of becoming a year-round sport. But I, I bet he could get, I bet he could get some contact. Yeah. yeah. Over to what happened in L.A. last night. So singer and actor Kristen Chenoweth was at the Clippers game ahead of their matchup against OKC to sing the national anthem. Now, I don't know if you guys are super familiar with who Kristen Chenoweth is. She's this Broadway singer who's notorious for her big voice and petite body. She stands tall at four foot eleven. Well, lo and behold, she took a photo before the game standing next to Boban Marjanovic. And it's a photo you guys have got to see. Let me remind you that he is seven foot three. This looks like one of those fake optical illusion Halloween costumes. It does. It absolutely looks like something's been like it's like the movie with uh, Matt Damon when they made him shrink down a little people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, honey, I shrunk the kids. I can do that too. Yeah, it does. Totally looks like that. Did you see him dunk last week? And he was like, when he came down, he was literally standing on the ground, holding onto the rim. (laughs) He can do that. Fantastic. Was that? Did you play against him? Uh, I played against him. Yeah, but I didn't get dunked on by him. (laughs) All right, which I don't think would take very much. He just reaches over (laughs) anybody. All right, guys, that's all for Socially Relevant. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Canel and Bell. Coming up next, Danny and Raja break down the drama in Maryland. All this and more coming up next. You're watching Off the Bench. All right, let's finish it off with a little bit of a serious note because I want to talk about the Maryland situation, what's happening with DJ Durkin, uh, their head coach, who was yesterday was announced he was reinstated to his position of head coach after he was put on leave uh, by the administration where they did an exhaustive investigation uh, into the very unfortunate tragedy that took place when Jordan McNair suffered a heat stroke in a May 29th workout. He was not attended to properly, ended up losing his life, and it was an awful tragedy. Like you can't, you can't even say enough about how this should never happen. Mm-hmm. And in any sport, in any workout regime, it just should not happen. It's inexcusable how that happened. But as a result of that, there was an investigation into this, quote, culture of fear that existed. And I have kind of mixed emotions when I look at it because, like, when they say culture of fear, like, when I was at Florida State, I was, like, I was somewhat, somewhat scared. If I didn't perform, I was going to lose my scholarship. Or if I didn't work hard, I wouldn't start or I would get benched. Like, I think that's kind of a lot of what sports are. And is it healthy or not? You could debate that. But I don't think there's any different culture at Maryland there is at any other Power 5 school as far as when you look at how these guys are treated. Yeah, I, I think a culture of fear is probably the norm for for sports, competitive ones. Right. right? When, when and at that level. At that level, certainly. Um, I think that Maryland could be responsible for what happened and it not necessarily be DJ Durkin, right? right? Like you're talking about a training staff, you're talking about doctors, you're talking about medical personnel. Um, the coach, when, when people are training, the coach has 
put together a training schedule. This is what we're going to do on X, Y, and Z days. A lot of times when they're conditioning, the head coach might not even be there, mm-hmm. right? So the, the responsibility for, for him being taken care of was, was, may have been on someone else's shoulder. So I don't necessarily think he should lose his job. And I, I, I agree with you. It's, it's, that's unfortunate on a whole nother level, but every coach has to establish some level of fear in you. It's the way you can control your ship, right? If you're not afraid of the consequences that may happen if you're not at a study hall or if you're not at a weight training session, if there aren't any and you don't fear them, then you've got chaos. It's the wild, wild west. Like, you go, do you know what I mean? Like, but that word that you just used specifically, if you can control them is something that people do not like to hear in today's environment. It has like they do. I know. Because you have to control a, people in, a team. I feel like it's a younger movement, but like don't like authority. They don't want to have to answer to somebody, but there's a higher and play, life. play golf, right. play tennis, do something right. individual. When you're trying to play a team sport and one person's responsible for the culture of that team and the direction that that team's going to point, there, there have to be some, some, it gotta be some fear in the program. And when you dig deep into the program, the, the, the strength coach was fired and the stuff he was doing was really stupid and had no motivational tactic, no, no made a motivational value when he's forcing guys to eat until they puke. That's a like different story. Appointment and, yeah. he's, and he's flipping guys cup and he got fired for it. He yep. should have. Um, but like you've got, there's a fine line because you're going to have to chew out some guys. You're going to have to yell at some guys and some guys you might ha- not have to and some guys you do. But it's just, I remember being a, a, a college guy and maybe had been out the night before and I didn't feel like working out. I was kind of going through the motions and I needed somebody to yell at me and say, get off your butt. Let's go. Stop right. being a, you know, and I needed that and I thought it was good for me, but there's this fine line that you have to toe as a coach of where does that value come in and make sure you don't cross it so that it does become abuse. But I think too many people think coaching hard is abuse and I couldn't disagree more. I'm with you in that. I've had coaches range from like, you know, the Jerry Sloans of the world that were hard hat. Like, you know, I watched, I watched Jerry try to fight people in our locker room, you know, but we loved Jerry. Like, you know, you, we loved, um, the tough mentality. We knew he loved us. It didn't mean he wasn't going to be in our butt when he needed to be, or he wouldn't threaten to fight one of us when push came to shove, but we knew that he had our back and he, he wanted to get the best out of us. And then we saw results. And so, you know, you can do that. I've also had coaches that had, very light hands. There was no accountability. They lose control of their ship. And while he was a great guy and your practices went hard and he wasn't going to yell at you, like you didn't really have a lot of respect for him because, you know, you weren't getting anything done and he wasn't getting you to where you needed to be. So I'm with you. I think coaches need to have a firm hand. I get that the, dy- you know, the dynamics are shifting in terms of, you know, youth and the way they think they should be treated. And they've got these voices now on social media and so on and so forth. But I agree with you. Heavy hands as a coach, I think can be good. I don't think this is over. Three players walked out of his meeting when he was reinstated. I think there's going to be a petition and I don't think this is over for Maryland. And unfortunately for Jordan McNair's parents, uh, parents, I don't think there's closure yet. Yeah, that's uh, I don't think they'll ever get it.